Okay, welcome back, everybody. Um, please do continue to help yourself to the warm drinks. Just serve yourselves now. There's a cafetiere on the second shelf there, or instant on the top, and lots of cakes still to go. Um, we've had about six or seven questions in. Sorry if I can't read it. And if you're not satisfied with Paul's answer, then just heckle and then... No, then go to Owen after that. Heckle and then I'll <laughs> repeat it for the people at home and then we'll dialogue a bit but not too long an answer. I'll begin with my question. Um, first of all, thank you for giving up uh, your time to talk to us. Um, why are you married? Yeah, <laughs> that's the killer question, isn't it? No, um, and that's right, because um, I think I, it's... it's a, I... I married Liz and I fell in love with Liz and we got married and we've tried to help each other to push into being kingdom focused and I I did do that but and I think when I was younger I didn't even I think really think about this perspective yeah. it wasn't even in my consciousness this sort of a perspective that we thought about this evening what this sort of what Jesus says there what Paul says, what church has said down through the ages. I think if I had known all that and been able to think about it all, I probably still would have gone, well, I love Liz, I'm going to get married to Liz. And as the Bible says, well, I'm not, I'm not sinned by doing that. But I think if I'm just being like brutally honest with this group of people, I didn't even think about that other option when I was younger, if I'm just being honest. Uh, and it's only over the years that I started to think, Oh, what the Bible says these sorts of things, and then reading things in church history, the how, how that focus made me think, oh, this should be a much more serious choice to think about it more consciously. So I think I still obviously I fell in love with Liz, and we've worked together as we have to push into the kingdom. Uh, but I don't think I really thought of it as that choice. Thank you. How does a single person? Um encourage and nurture their desire for church family and for God practically and sort of say no to worldly desires and efforts and set themselves apart but yeah avoid just being busy in church and you know there's a wrong way of being busy oh, in yeah, church yeah. I do. where you're cold and yeah. going through the motions so practically how do you get caught up in the vision yeah it, time is a, is important not just because you might say, oh, just do lots of things with and for your church family. That is obviously relevant, but I think it's really the first step of it is what you think, of, like the planning of your life. It's like sometimes I'll talk to people, like even people who claim to be Christian, and they'll be like, well, I'm single because I like doing my own thing. Now, if they're thinking like that and planning their life around just what they want to do in life, they're never really going to fall in love with Jesus and the church family because they're in love with themselves. And that shows up in the way they plan and the way they think about their resources and what's important to them. So it's not necessarily like you fill every single moment of your time serving your church family. It's more what you're really thinking about is what you're doing with your life. And where do you find you, where are you at home? 
in where's your base of life and it's that i always think before a person even does start to behave differently it's good for them to just start to think a little bit differently and think now what am i doing with my life i'm not i can't live for myself that is the fast track to hell what i'm for is jesus and this church family that i'm part of so then you i say the first thing to do is just start to look at your church family as these people that you're going to know forever look at them differently think of them differently and then your resources your money your time everything think of them when you're planning about that and how about like could i visit that person when i've got i've got wednesday afternoon off what am i going to do with that well i could i could visit john yeah i could do that and then just those you that it's not like i'm going to use every single moment of my time rushing around no that won't do any good either but it's just that sense of what is my life for what am i doing with my time and resources and money and energy because the more that you it's like when jesus says where your treasure is that's where your heart goes so what you value most your heart will go to that that's what you'll end up loving so you always know like what if a person uh, oh, later in life what do you love when they tell you you know what they focused on what they've valued because they love it same with that you look at the people as your church family and then now you say they are the value the most value the, the more i'm going to think of them more than i think of myself then out of that you can make choices about what am i going to do with wednesday afternoon and what am i going to do with my weekend and things like that what's important in my life what am i investing in because even if the beginning you might say i don't love these people yeah that's because you haven't invested in them you haven't treasured them mm -hmm. when you treasure them then you'll love them one from the live stream chat, who you know. You yeah, are a dumb legend. Yeah. I was meant to be anonymous. Oh, yeah. uh, it could be from anyone. <laughs> <laughs> 1 Timothy 2.15, but woman, women shall be saved through childbearing if ah. they continue in faith, love, and holiness uh, with propriety. Don't women need to have children? Yeah, that's a funny one, isn't it? Um, one two three. sorry i'm only laughing because i have heard people say women are safe through childbearing so uh like quote they'll go women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith love and hell. so not only has everyone got to have a child or else they're going to hell but they must have the child and continue in faith love and holiness with propriety it's like yikes what have dudes got to do uh nothing <laughs> oh no they can lift up holy hands in prayer <laughs> you're like See, what is that actually talking about? Um, John, you know John Stott? He, um, he, John Stott wrote a commentary on this. Very helpful. Because he just points out, it doesn't, it says women are saved through the childbirth. The childbirth. So what he's doing, he's actually talking about husbands and wives in this passage and how how to have a christian marriage really and when he says husbands should lift up hands 
in holy prayer. And he's like saying, when, if a husband, if he's lifting up his hands, it better not be in domestic violence. If he's lifting up his hands, it better only be for holy prayer. That's a Christian marriage. And women should not make their beauty dependent on super, like buying lots of expensive clothes and stuff like that. That's no, 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 no. Where your beauty comes from really is good deeds and worship of God. That's what you invest your value in, not externals. But then, and, and then, then he goes back to Adam and Eve and how they are. And then he's really saying, because Adam and Eve, now when, you, when, you, when your mind's thinking about Adam and Eve there, in 1 Timothy 2 verse 14, Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, it was a woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Adam and Eve. So they sinned and out of, and to Eve, what was it when she sinned? What was said to her? Genesis 3, 15, the Lord said, ah. Well, it wasn't her, it was to Satan. He's like, now then. Uh, the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And there'll be conflict, but he is going to crush the head of the serpent even as the serpent bruises his heel. And so this prophecy is made when Adam and Eve have sinned, and particularly the sin of Eve and then there's Satan. And it's like, ah, so that's it with women. And, the, and it's like, no, that's not it. Because if this woman led to that, it's through a woman that the childbirth will happen that saves us all. The, the childbirth is going to save us all. And that's why quite often you have in artwork, I love it at um, Christmas, one of our favorite pictures that we put up at Christmas, has Eve and Mary like holding hands and Eve patting the pregnant Mary on the stomach. Isn't that beautiful? What a fabulous picture. Because it's saying Eve was thinking of the childbirth. So all, all, anyone who's saved, actually, man or woman, is saved by the childbirth and keep it staying in faith and holiness the way of Jesus, but the childbirth. And the point of it to a married couple is you may not be able to have any children and you might say, man, weren't we, we've, we ain't got any life because we, we can't have children. And really what Paul's saying is, no, don't worry about, if you can't, that's a sadness, but you have the childbirth to focus on. The childbirth, and by him you will be saved. Thank you. Why do some churches allow or encourage married couples and families to dictate at the expense of single people? Yeah. I guess it's asking, why is the schedule geared so heavily to the one? You yeah. sort of covered... I still covered it, and it's just that way in which it's easily... First of all, let me explain how it easily happens. And it's not necessarily just that the families dictate it, but um, you've got the school calendar with terms and things like that, and it's very easy to just end up planning things around school terms and holidays, and, and then it's like, oh, well, the, the schools are on, on holiday now, Therefore, we won't do things at church. And it's easily done because without thinking about it, the fact of the children's calendar becomes the church's calendar. And you might say, but there's hardly any... Why is the church organized around that? It shouldn't be done. It shouldn't be done 
but it can easily be done just because it's not appreciated. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's an important point. We cut, that it's good to have church aspects of, ch- of our church, big church family, aspects of that thinking about families and children, but not the entire thing, because as we said, the majority of people who come to church are not families with children. So the majority of church life, it shouldn't be organized around that. It just so often has been. And it's just, I think it's just good to flag that up. And I, I often, when I visit churches, just flag up, you know, how do you organize yourself? So that, say, throughout some holiday, are you continuing to care for single people? Or is the whole church basically shut down? Well, it's, you know, it's school holidays, isn't it? Yeah, but for single people, it's just exactly the same. And at Christmas and Easter and things like that. So it's good to just flag that up. Is that enough? Yeah. So maybe that the youth stuff stops, but make sure there are things. Still yeah, happening. other things carry on. And it's important that it's not as if everything stops around yeah. church. Carry on with the core activities of church. And of course, just quickly as well, it just also flags up that sense in which church is not just as meeting together once a week or something. You know, it's got to be that sense that we're always church together. We're always church together, and that needs to be big. We've got about three minutes left okay. to get through about six of these. Right. So, um, um, there was a Christian psychologist here tonight, um, and he's gone, but he wanted to ask this. Okay. It's a good question, in my opinion. Um, he said, in his experience, Cults often control their members by separating them from their families. Is that a danger of churches that are like a bit mad? Yeah. Okay, it's a good point. What normal... Wait, wait, wait. Oh. Because if your church is... Like some churches are mad and not (laughs) helpful... And okay. not really about Jesus. Yeah. And then people join them, and maybe they've got quite straightforward people in their family that can no longer get them and say, what you've joined is mad. You yeah. know, Christian members of maybe of another church. Yeah. I don't really know what the question is. Is no, it a danger? Yeah. So I think what's important is church doesn't say to people, now that you're following Jesus, you should abandon your family. It happens the other way around. You, you are following Jesus, going to church. That's, this is the way it is in the Bible. Your family is the one that says, we are going to abandon you. We are. So even in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, if you're married to a non-Christian, you don't walk away from them. You stay with them. If they walk away from you, okay, then there's nothing you can do about that. You can't do anything. But you don't walk away from them. So the Bible's telling you, don't walk away, but they may abandon you. They may cut you off. Because you say, look, I'm going to church, but I don't want to leave you lot. And they say, oh, well, if you're going to church, we don't want anything to do with you. Well, that's on them. And you, you should always have your hand outstretched, even if they won't take it. But the, no, the church doesn't say to people, oh, now you're fine. you should abandon. no. They abandon us. We don't abandon them. It was mentioned that people could be born eunuchs, but
by being born attracted to the same sex. Yeah. Surely this is not possible. Surely this is because of a person's deliberate disobedience. No, I mean, like, the people's desires, uh, some people have hardly any sexual desire at all. Um, you know, they're just not interested in that sort of thing. They don't want to get married. Some people, and, and it's like, I'm not, it's, it's difficult to know on just on the basis of evidence and research, is all <clears throat> same-sex desire nurture or nature? It's very, there's no definite conclusions about whether it's all nature or all nurture, or is it some of each? Some people just have fear. The, what does seem to be the case is what do you focus on? So it's saying, say you have opposite sex attraction. Do you, is that going to control you? Is that going to define you? It will if you focus on that and make that something that you're always thinking about and focusing on. And Jesus, if you remember, just said, don't look at people that way to, to have them. Because the thing is, once you start looking at people that way, you can't stop looking at people that way. Or it's hard to stop at looking at people. And it takes a lot of effort then to, to, to get back that under control. So it does, to me, I don't really care whether a person is, has desires to the opposite sex, no, no sexual desire, or somewhat for the same sex. To me, that doesn't, it's not, that's not necessarily important at all. What are they going to do with that? Is, are they going to make that something they focus on and say that? Whether It doesn't really matter whether it's same-sex or opposite. If they focus on that, that's a problem. That's a problem. If they don't focus on that and don't make it the thing that defines them in life, it isn't a problem. And I don't really care whether they were born that way or whether they've accumulated or acquired that through environment, influences, bad choices, whatever. That's where they are now as I find them. That's what they experience. So I don't really care where it all necessarily came from. What I am bothered about is what to do with that. And I simply say it doesn't really matter where you are in life. And if you have non-opposite, same, what are you going to do with it? If you focus on that and make that define you, you're going to be in trouble. Even if it's opposite set, you're going to be in trouble. Don't do that. And that's what I hope came out of this. Do you agree that marriage is very central to the message of the Bible as a whole, i.e. creation, Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and his several wives, in brackets, if only to show the problems of polygamy, Son of Solomon, etc., and regarding fertility, Abraham and Sarah's miraculous parenthood in old age? So, um, th at the beginning, the question is, is marriage central to the message of the Bible? Yeah, because it's about Christ and the church. So Isaac and Rebecca's story, the reason that's important, that story, is because of Christ and church. All of these stories where we focus on married couples in the Bible, especially Song of Solomon, that's about Christ and church. The reason marriage has an importance in the Bible is because we are all made to get married in that sense and if you go back again through the way that these things are preached on in history, 
The classic sermons on all these couples and songs of Solomon and Hosea. Think of Hosea. It's all about like marriage and God is married to people and his wife is betrays him and all this sort of thing. Marriage is important. Jesus, marriage feast of Canaan. He talks about marriage, doesn't he? In his parables, he's like at the, at, at the marriage feast at the end of all things. When the bridegroom comes and there's the virgins who've got the oil and those who haven't. And he talks about this bridegroom coming in the future. You think, well, he's a single guy. Why has he got marriage on the mind all the time? Because it's the marriage. And when you get to the end of Revelation, the marriage feast of the Lamb and the the bride of Christ coming down from heaven as beautifully prepared and all this sort of thing. So I'm saying, yeah, it is a central issue in the Bible, the marriage of Christ. But it's not like, and then the way the question gets into the messiness of just the merely human marriages in the Bible. They're all messy. Abram, Sarah, all of them are messy because when if if they become the center of attention there's enough there's no there's no there's no there's no answers there but they pointing us to see even those miraculous births with like Abraham's, what is the meaning of that miraculous birth of isaac well it's told us it's about the gospel it's about an impossible birth that happens by the power of God and not human effort. Think of Galatians, think of Romans, think of how these, these miraculous births are explained. They're not a miraculous birth, therefore, how brilliant is human fertility? It's the opposite point. Here's a miraculous birth, therefore, how weak is human fertility? And how wonderful is God's power to deliver this gospel reality? Trust him. Which is what Paul says about the Adam and Eve story. Yes. Not good to be alone, he says. Yeah. I'm speaking of Christ and yeah. the church. Yeah. I mean, Ephesians that, 5. Yeah, the Ephesians 5 is an, an excellent example where Paul just explicitly just goes, oh, you know that story of Adam and Eve? The man, it's not good that he's alone. That is, that's, he says, of course I am talking about Christ and the church. It's about Christ and the church. And it's that thing that, there's this weird way, isn't it? Adam's created. There he is, master of the universe. There, but he hasn't got, this the right one has a look at all the creatures Nah, none of them are good enough one of the creatures of course was like the devil and all the angels they're not good enough they want then he's got to be finding one well it is the one then he's put into a death-like sleep and then his side is cut open and out of his side a bride is taken for him to marry of his very flesh and bone and you're like what this is the weirdest story how is this this completely wacky story of him dying, being put into like a death-like sleep, his side being opened up and out of that, he's the one he's going to marry. That's just weird. And then you go, but is it? No, that's obviously about Christ dying and out of his side and all of, isn't it? It's about that. So the man, which is, when it says it's not good that the man is alone, that's real. Who is the man who is not going to be alone and refuses to be alone and will die to get his bride? It's about Jesus and us and the fact that he won't be alone and the father doesn't think he should be alone and neither does the spirit and he will die to make sure he's not. He dies for us because he can't live without us. He can't live without us and he's like, I'll die to keep you with me forever because I won't be alone. 
I'm going to be married to you and have you with me forever. That's what that story's about. Finally, right? What would you say to someone who's fallen very deeply in love with somebody that didn't return their love and then they get married? Isn't that hurtful? And the rejected person feels like a bit of a mockery. So I guess you're ending on how does church comfort all sorts of people and how can even the broken-hearted get taken up in this wonderful journey of church and Christ? And then you can close in prayer. Well, you're, you're, you're asking of the question really answered it, isn't it? It's this way in which we, we, fall, we can fall in love. And, we, and the, 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 that can seem like just a good thing. But it isn't. All, all, any time we fall in love with anybody and anything that isn't the living God, there's great danger there. Even if that, per- see, even more dangerous is if we fall in love with someone and they fall in love with us and we, f- we become completely obsessed with each other, that is an even bigger danger because then you may really never think about loving the living God because you might go, I found someone who completely fulfills me. Then you're like, that is a horrible situation to be in. Because now you're really deluded. That that person cannot be that for you. So in a way, if you have fallen in love with someone, but they don't love you back, there's a grace and mercy in that. Because it's reminding you, even if that person did love you back, they cannot be for you the love of your life. They cannot be. And as long as we wish that a mere sinful human being was the love of our life, it, and we may say, I think I have found that, I've experienced that. No, you haven't. That, even if you think you have, that, that, isn't, that is a danger in itself. The love of your life has to be the Lord Jesus Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is this. Fall in love with God, with everything you've got. Then you can begin to love other people properly. That's what Jesus said. So my advice is always to say, do not, do not allow falling in love with a mere creature steal from you the true love of your life your creator. And the only way to actually begin to heal a heart that's had that heartbroken thing, and that is a really deep heartache, isn't it? Particularly if you've married the person, they don't really love you back. And particularly if you've invested such meaning into earthly marriage, what you need to do is start that journey of understanding how limited earthly marriage is and that there's this much greater love that you were made for, and someone who will love you back with such passion and never let you go. This one who has a love stronger than death and loves you and knows you and gets you better than anyone could ever do. He loves you so much that God dies for you. It's impossible for God to die. And yet he found out how to so, because he loves you and wants you with him forever. That you can give your love, like love him with everything you've got, knowing he'll love you back even stronger. No human can do that. 
And until, the only way to heal the broken heart is to give that heart to the one who never will break it. I'll pray then. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that before the universe began, this wedding was planned. The wedding feast of the Lamb, that before the universe began, why did you make this universe? We're told it was through Jesus, but for Jesus. It's to be the marriage family home for all eternity when he marries us and gives himself to us in this complete way. Heavenly Father, we pray that your spirit would be in our hearts and minds to awaken us to reality. And may we be, our loves be first. But we, all the things we love, may we be set free from f- making those the great love of our life. Anything, anyone we love, may we never see in them the love that belongs only to Jesus. And we thank you that you are a jealous God. That when we love anything or anyone with the love that belongs to you, you're jealous. You don't shrug your shoulders and say it doesn't matter. It does matter to you. Because you you don't want to lose us. It breaks your heart when we love others in the way that we should love you. Thank you, Father, that you care that much about us. We want to respond to you with that. We want to listen to that greatest commandment to love you with everything we've got and then we're able to love others as we should. Heavenly Father, please have mercy on us. May we commit into our local church families and value them as we should and come to know you better through them. Heavenly Father, please have mercy on us. We've come together because we want to hear you. We want to learn. We want to break free from these strongholds of delusion that, that have shaped us in this world. Please, Father, by your Spirit, may the scriptures we've heard speak to us. Set us free. Grant us a wonderful night's sleep tonight. Keep us safe through the perils of darkness. And may we awake tomorrow for a new adventure with Jesus in this world. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.